So as we now conclude the Gospel of Luke, please turn with me over to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 will begin in verse 36. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we're now on this precipice of completing your gospel through exposition, thorough study, and I, I pray that uh, even for all of us that none of these words would have fallen to the ground, but it was thorough study as well as application to our lives. Please, God, uh, help us to be completely astounded by what it is that Luke set out to do, to provide an orderly account so that we really may be convinced that Jesus truly is the Christ, the risen Lord, and that he would be that in our lives. Truly, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised for us. Lord, let it be that we really do aspire to resurrected lives that Jesus has provided for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so before we begin, just as a reminder, this is what Luke's intent was as we began this study. He said, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? So that you may know the certainty. So you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And so here we go as we finalize the certainty of these things in verse 36 of the final chapter. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Amazing moment captured here by Luke. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost to them. This is out of the realm of possibility. It would have been for anybody at this point. Nobody had been resurrected. Some had been resuscitated like, like, like Lazarus, but none resurrected to a new body, to a glorious new body. I'm going to probably keep uh, having to update this because... But, but, but this experience was one that was so phenomenal to them that they, they really were frightened to the core, even though they were seeing Jesus. It wasn't settling to them but instead startling to them. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It's, it's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see. It's interesting that Jesus would say, look at my hands and my feet. Most would point to this as the chance for them to recognize those are pierced hands. Those are pierced feet. And even as they're gathered around this intimate moment with Jesus now coming into their midst, to be able to look and see the, the, the very piercings in his body at that point. Truly astounding. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. 
And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement. This is an interesting description of unbelief. Because it's, it's not necessarily like, I'm not buying it, unbelief. It's like, it's unbelievable. Like when we say, that's incredible. We don't say it negatively. But yet the word incredible means not credible. Not believable. But you never mean it that way. You mean, that's incredible. How, how many, Odell's sweater, that's incredible. <laughs> Amen. So there, there is an aspect to it was like, I'm just so astounded that, that, that this really does have to settle in to the, the place of deep conviction of belief in, in my life right now. And while they still not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And it's interesting how time after time, this activity of eating, having table fellowship, suddenly kind of snaps the disciples back into a, a sober mindset of belief. He said, do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds. Wow. So they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're my witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, and there's a 40-day contraction at this point that is not expanded on by, by Luke. But we know that there were 40 days from this initial contact with Jesus till what we're about to read right now in verse 50. When he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him. I bet they did. And then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God and awaiting what it is that he said. You wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And we'll, we'll look at a couple chapters in the gospel of, I'm sorry, in the book of Acts, just to kind of tie all of this together over the course of the next few weeks. But, but right at this point, let's take a look at this journey that the disciples all had to take from unbelief to belief. To be able to go from a point of really <laughs> bewilderment, really like this empty tomb, what do I make of it? Was he stolen? Did he disappear? Did we make a mistake? Are the women crazy? What's going on? I mean, these are all the things that they, they said amongst themselves to the point of now we get it. This is the one we worship. I know in him in whom I have believed. And now I wait to be able to de be deployed for his mission to help all nations get what we have gotten. To understand what we have understood. But it's not an easy journey. 
and to ultimately come to this place of repentance. And, and it's this repentance that is, that is going to be preached to all nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Double cure. Astounding. But, and I'll get to that in a minute. But this repentance is how you go from unbelief to belief. It, matter of fact, repentance has in the word itself, in the Greek, metanoia, the idea of mindset. But it's the idea of a mindset that has gone under a metamorphosis. From a mindset of unbelief over here to a mindset of belief and conviction and commission that is over here. And this transition from one mindset to the other is a change of mind. Or noia, which is the heart of metanoia, that word, noia simply means your mindset, your brain, the way that you make sense of everything that's going on. So the way that you make sense of everything, noia, then undergoes meta, right? Meta, meta is change. It's a change with a focus on the after. And so to, here, here's your before noia, and here is your meta noia. How do you get from point A to point B? Let's take a look at it just from this, the passages that we have right here. Because they start out in deep despair. N never mind unbelief. Despair. Because they think all is lost. This one that we followed. He died. He failed. Woe is us. Woe is him. Rough day. To in the same day being so astounded about the new life that he has, that they have, and the great purpose that they now have for the rest of their lives. But it begins with an open tomb. And the open tomb, we see from verse 24, says, Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. Even though this is what they um, have as their evidence, an empty tomb, the women having reported it, and even the disciples who went and checked it out as well. Our companions saw it, the women initially saw it, but yet, where are they at this point in time? They are in despair as they walk along the road with Jesus. Back in verse 24 that we saw last week. But then, moving along on this path of unbelief to belief, they then they have the scriptures opened up to them to show them that this is all that scripture had always uh, promised and is now fulfilled in you. So you go from an empty tomb, you don't know what to make of it, to now... Uh, uh, opened an open tomb to open scriptures. And I love how they say this later on in, in Luke 24. After Jesus then kind of schools them along the way, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Yet, we still find them much further down the road when we get to the passage here, still wrestling with unbelief. Even though they've had an open tomb, open scriptures, and then even three opened their eyes. Jesus opened their eyes so they could recognize Jesus. They've got an open tomb, they've got scriptures open to them, and now they've had their eyes open to them where they can recognize Jesus. Verse 31 says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. We're still not having completed this journey of repentance where, where you go from unbelief to belief. And with a brand new conviction about how we're going to live the rest of our lives. The disciples are still wrestling with this. Which ought to show us that repentance is no small phenomenon. That is brought to us courtesy of God the Holy Spirit. It's a massive and wonderful phenomenon that we receive. Thanks to 
the diligence and the perseverance of God on our noggins until we can finally get it and be able to really look at everything through a brand new eye, heart, and mind. But okay, so, so now he's opened our eyes. And then they go to Jerusalem with their opened eyes and they meet a bunch of other disciples with opened eyes. And we got bad connections still, so I'm going to keep reconnecting. At least I'm good at reconnecting now. I've had a lot of practice. And so fourthly, then they all affirm openly the truth. It's true. It's true. The Lord is risen. And he's even appeared to Simon, of all people, after what he did to him. Oy vey. Can you believe that? Uh, so verse 34, it's true. The Lord is risen and he's appeared to Simon. So again, just to recap, an open tomb, open scriptures, opened eyes, and now openly affirming the truth with one another. And then fifthly, still doubts. Jesus comes to them in verse 38, as we just read. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? You know, for, for some of us who took a little while to really study the Bible, really come to conviction, and ultimately to be able to say Jesus was Lord, to repent and be baptized, well, don't feel bad. These guys are hanging with Jesus. And look at how hard it is for them right now. But God loves them and he loves you and he perseveres. He perseveres with evidence. He perseveres with people that he puts into your life. He perseveres with personal examples. Praise God that God does all of this. But even after, okay, I know I'm repeating, repeating, repeating. But even after an open tomb that they saw with their own eyes, right? Even after the scriptures are open to them by Jesus on the road and their hearts were burning. Even after their eyes were open to be able to recognize Jesus. Even after they come to a bunch of other disciples who are all saying, it's true, it's true, it's true. We've all seen it now. They still have doubts in their minds. And they've not come to repentance. And then, even more convincing evidence is kind of like step six in this little saga narrative that we have here. And Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. It's me. Or it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. And I know what you're thinking right now. Well, I'm having trouble repenting. And maybe if Jesus would come here and say, check me out. All right. You know what? You're a special case. I get it. It's been hard. You got a background baggage. Got to ditch all of that somehow. So for you, here's what I'm going to do for you, BJ. I'm going to come and I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to have some broiled fish. It's going to taste good. And if you cook it well, and, and then I'm going to let you touch my hands and my feet. And we think, yeah, maybe if I had that, then I too could repent. But Jesus does say, of course, to Thomas, who, who makes all of these same allegations. Blessed are you, Thomas, because you see and believe. But blessed even more are those who do not see and yet believe. And then it's followed with. And these scriptures have all been captured by the Holy Spirit so that all of us might believe. Jesus did not leave us. He left us to go and send us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to be able to, to bring about this amazing work of metanoia. 
that can really come and really transform the entire trajectory of the way we think and the way that we live. So Jesus then says, check me out, even more evidence. And then he does one more thing just for good measure with these guys. And boy, oh boy, how cool would this be? He opened their minds. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And everything still comes back to the Holy Scriptures again and again and again. It is what will ultimately bring about the open-eyed, open heart, open mind to be able to really embrace the depth and truth of God's plan and will for our lives. And it, and it is the very blueprint of how it is that we go from dead in sin to alive in Christ. And even as Jesus uh, tells the, the man back in Luke 17 that, yeah, 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 you want to be convinced by somebody rising from the dead and coming and checking out. Well, you know what? If you don't listen to Moses and the prophets, you're not going to be convinced no matter how many parlor tricks come your way. Just listen to Moses and the, in other words, listen to the Bible. Bring, Jesus always wants to bring it back to the Bible. And, and for me, you know, re repentance was uh, no easy feat either. I, I spent my whole life in some sort of church of one sort or another, but it didn't take. Even though I knew the open tomb it was, was reality. And if you had asked me 18, 19, 20, 25, 28, 29, any of those, if you had asked me, do you believe that there was an open tomb? You bet there was. I don't believe there's an open tomb. That was fighting words. Come on. I mean, that would be the case. But yet later on that night, I might have been then put in jail for drunk and disorderly fighting. Not about Jesus at all. And, and yet, yes, I affirmed the, the open tomb. Uh, did I know the scriptures? Yeah, I knew the scriptures at least to some degree. When, when I saw a Bible today, I think it was kind of a special thing. Yeah, I, I, I really did. Were my eyes open enough to be able to understand what was in the Bible? You know, yes, I understood exactly what, what was being said in the Bible along the way there. Uh, did I have opened eyes to be able to recognize Jesus? Sure, I, I saw Jesus and I saw Christ-like people as well at different times in my life. But you know, all of these things kept piling up and piling up and piling up. And even for all of us as we've gathered here, you know what? There's been a piling up of helpful work of the Holy Spirit. And, and likely, you didn't just kind of come to this understanding of Scripture just out of nowhere. But you probably from a young age began to really appreciate who Jesus was, how He was fulfilling the Scriptures, how He was being made known to you in a variety of different ways, how ultimately your eyes were opened to recognize Christ's likeness in different ways. But, but for me, uh, ultimately, I think what helped to open my mind, the, the, the sealing evidence was when I saw the body of Christ, meaning the church. The combination of the scriptures and check out the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit brought all of that together for me, where all of the ways that I would weasel away from the open tomb, from my open eyes, from the open Bible, all of the ways those got slammed shut. Every exit door that I would quickly take got slammed shut because I suddenly was surrounded by a bunch of people like you. And, and my ability to say, well, yeah, 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 the Bible does say that, but 
you know, the people I've been going to church with all my life, I don't really see them doing that. We're not really having like fellowship in the light where we're really deeply discussing what are even our hopes or dreams, much less our sins. And if we mention sin, we mention it in some sort of broad base. Yeah, we all sin. We all fall short. Oh, it's a good thing we got grace, though, huh? Yeah, good thing we got grace. Well, it was good confessing to you. You too, brother. Peace be with you and also with you. See you next week. I mean, that was, that was the extent of it. Of, that was Christianity. So when I read my Bible, even though the Bible was opened, my mind was closed. Because I had an exit strategy from, from the Bible itself. Until they took away my excuses. To finally see people that were no joke. They weren't just kind of playing here. Jesus really was Lord in their lives. And, and suddenly, oh my goodness, it was as though, you know, there was like an atom bomb explosion in my mind to suddenly realize, you mean, this is not just kind of, you know, aim for the sky aphorisms, that these are actual words that are expected to be put into practice, that people are going to live this stuff out verbatim compliance for you nukes that are out there, that, that this is, this is the way that they went about this. Really? And every time I asked it that way, nobody was shocked or surprised. They were like, yeah. Yeah, really. You mean you really do confess to one another? Sure. Yeah, we do. Yeah. do I mean, you, you really do kind of, you know, not just listen to the word, but you do what it says? Well, sure. I mean, that, that, that's exactly why we go about studying our Bible every day and, and being able to... You have a prayer life that, that looks like the prayer life that I see in the Bible? Not just kind of, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Because I say that every night. Is that good enough? No, we, we really, we have a relationship with God. We, you know, I, I rearranged my life to be able to give Him the best of my day, the best of all I have. You, mean, you, you give me even like your money? Well, yeah. It's all from Him anyway. Why not be able to give Him the first fruits? It's a part of the way I even worship. Is that what it is that I have? Like, you, do you actually like talk to people about Jesus? You, you actually go out and, and you proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations? Well, like, yeah, it's the greatest joy, the greatest purpose that I could be commissioned for such a thing. Like, are you a priest? No! I'm an accountant! No! I'm a bookkeeper! Like, really? Like, this is what you do. And I, I mean, it just, it just astounded me that this could be the case. But thank you, God, that as many times as I weaseled out, as many times as I thought I was so clever at finding some sort of logical inconsistency of how I wasn't going to obey the Bible, God slammed my idiot thinking to the ground, into submission. I was like, oh. All right, I got, I got no choice but to really now look at this. And, and suddenly when all of those idiotic excuses were peeled away, I was left nothing but with the Holy Scriptures and the reality that they could be put into practice thanks to a congregation of people just like you. And praise God that he, that he brought that all together for me, for you, for, for all that are, that are coming to be able to, to, to really know him. And what he does give us in the end then is, is not just some, okay, here's the gospel. And if you like it, come forward. And if you feel emotional right now, come forward. 
and we're going to say a prayer together, and I'm going to make you feel better, and you're going to think that you've really got it all together with God. Again, repentance is more than that. And by the way, any preacher could, could stay up here and kind of have some sort of an altar call and, 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 and even say, you know what, there are some of you out there right now that I know, I know you need Jesus. There's some of you having marital difficulties right now that run so deep and you haven't told anybody about it. Okay, so among the married people, that covers 100% of those. Some of you out there not yet married wondering, does God really have a purpose for you? Does God really have someone for you? Could there possibly be any sort of happiness that, that I could have either in a marriage or can I have happiness even just in knowing God? Is, is it even possible to, to, to have that kind of fulfillment in my life? Well, for those of you that aren't married, that covers 100% of you, right? So I'm, I'm doing pretty well, right? If I'm, I'm trying to like really reach everybody and make them all think, oh my goodness, how does he know? How does he know? Some of you young men out there are having trouble keeping your way pure and you need Jesus in your life. You've got deep darkness. You've got filth. You know it's there. You know you need Jesus. They're starting to be ready to come forward anyway. There won't be an altar call in a moment. It's all right. For, for some of you women out there of knowing, will, will I ever really be deeply loved? Will, will I ever really know the depth of love? I've only been disappointed. I've only been hurt. I've only been completely, completely rejected over and over again. Is there any... Like, oh my... Of course, of course, of course. There's a list of like seven things you can go through and cover all of the population two, three times over. And then, by, and it's called mining felt needs. That's the, that, that's the term for this. Uh, you mine or you, know, you kind of dig deep on, on needs that people feel. Mining felt needs. So you can mine felt needs among any group of people. Act as though you've got this amazing spiritual insight. Bring them forward when you've got them in an emotional state. And then say, okay, pray this prayer with me. And, and if you just, please, Jesus, come into my heart and be with me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart and making me whole and cleansing me. Thank you, Jesus, for this new life that I have. And that is what is portrayed as the great power of the gospel in most churches today. And it scares me to death. Because what it does is it inoculates people against full-blown Jesus. How do you keep yourself from getting chicken pox? Well, by getting a little bit of chicken pox. And then you never get full-blown chicken pox. In that case, it's a good thing. But with Jesus, you don't want to get just a little bit of Jesus. Thinking, but I, but I got Jesus. No, 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 no. All you did is you got a corruption of a little bit of Jesus that inoculated you against full-blown Jesus. And what Jesus has in store for you is not just some man-made concoction of, of what supposed forgiveness really is, but a double cure. A double cure. Not just to say, oh good, I've been forgiven, the debt is gone of my sin. But not just that, but to be set free from those sins. It's a double cure, not just of forgiveness, but of repentance and forgiveness. Forgiveness, praise God, eliminates the massive debt that has kept us from the intimacy of a relationship with God. It has taken away, it has cleansed our conscience, and it has taken away sin from our record and from our lives. But that's only half the good news. And if, if that's all there was, well then, where's the real power of the gospel? 
Because the other part of it is repentance. While forgiveness takes away the debt of sin, repentance takes away the grip and the power of sin from our lives. And praise God that I stumbled into a body of believers that holds to the double cure. Not only forgiveness of sins, but repentance of sins. So yes, okay, let's say you've been you know, declared wiped, wiped clean of your sin, but yet you're still a slave. You're still a slave to that materialism. You're still a slave to that gossip. You're still a slave to that bitterness and unforgiveness that's caused a rift in your family. You're still a slave to, to that um, impurity. You're still a slave to that vanity that makes you have to flirt or do all of these different things. You're still a slave to all of that. Well, what good is that? If you go, well, but I've been declared forgiven, but yet I have no freedom and I have no victory in my everyday walk in Christ. And it's no wonder that people who do an altar call usually do it five, six, seven, eight times. Because you can't kid yourself. And when you've not had victory over sin, you're always say, where's the power of the gospel? Maybe I need to kind of like really beef it up this time. Maybe I need to cry when I go to the altar. Please, Jesus, in my heart, please. But no, that's not, that's not it. It just hold to the Bible. Recognize the double cure that there is repentance and forgiveness of sins. And repentance is marvelous, mind-opening phenomenon that, that God gives us. Yet, unfortunate, most of the time, repentance is, is simply kind of brought down to these common dictionary definitions. To feel sorry, self-reproachful, contrite for past conduct, regret, be conscience-stricken, have a... Uh, uh, an attitude about past sin. To feel such sorrow for sin or fault so as to be disposed to change one's life for the better, to be penitent. I'm multitasking quite a bit during the sermon today, by the way. <laughs> and that's, that's actually Webster's uh, dictionary definition, number one and number two. Like, that's what you get when you go to look for what is it that, that, that repentance really does mean? Um, and, and yet, it's not even close to, to, to what metanoia is really all about. And this is um, on a gym not too far from here. And uh, I showed this, I think, years ago. But um, five, six years ago, my, my son Chase was playing basketball for a, a private school high school, and we would go to different schools, and, and it was cool to see them play basketball, and in this one school, which was a, um, a, a Christian school, to have this on the wall of the gym, and it, Luke twenty four forty seven, we just read it, forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in Christ's name to all nations. Then how cool is that, to, to do that under that banner? But then, after a while, I started to think, something's unsettling about that. Like, I don't, I don't remember a passage that begins forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in Christ's name to all nations. Much less the fact that they forgot will be proclaimed to Christ. But anyway, but was it, why, why, why does it begin there? And then I, then I realized, you know what? This is what that passage, that's what this mural should have really said. This is what that mural should have really said. <laughs> Come on, baby. Ah. 
tough day. Yes, here we go. Repentance and forgiveness. But why, why is it more appealing on your mural to leave out repentance? Why is the gospel message more attractive to remove repentance from the core of the message? As a matter of fact, Christianity Today, the main evangelical magazine, not too many years ago, wrote an article exactly on this. Whatever happened to repentance? Why this monster of all promises of God that you can be set free from your sins. And as a matter of fact, it gives evidence to other people as well of the power of the gospel. Sure, I can say to Alandis, Alandis, your, your, your sins have all been cleansed. And everybody, well, here's hoping. I don't know. Was it true? Was it not? Was it by the Bible? Right. And, but... But for Alandis to walk around and say, my sins have been cleansed, versus Alandis to be able to give evidence by his life that I've repented for my sins as well, suddenly the people that work with him take notice. People are, are, are really wondering. It was even kind of cool at Mengfei's baptism yesterday, how their friends were saying, you know, I've, I've, I've only you know, known you for the last couple months, but it is incredible the difference in who you were just a couple months ago to who you are now. And perhaps that was the case even in your own life, where, where people were amazed at the difference of who you are to who you are now, and who you were at the end of even God working on you through His Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to open your eyes, help you to recognize the gospel, take away your excuses, bring you to your knees, and to recognize that you no longer want to live for self, but for Him who died for you and raised again. Now, this phenomenon of repentance is no easy feat. I mean, look at what the disciples go through. Look at the reiterations of what Jesus has to be able to bring them. Not only with evidence, but scripture. And then evidence again, and more scripture. And intervention, and supernatural intervention. Well, guess what? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He's captured the Bible for us. He's been able to, to, to really put Holy Spirit-inspired people in our lives. He works directly on us to convict us of sin, and righteousness, and judgment. He brings us to a place of humility. I wouldn't have been able to do any of this in and of myself. The fact that I have victory over all the defiling filth of my former life is not because I took a self-improvement course. It's because God, for whatever amazing reason, put me in His bullseye and kept on working on me through His Holy Spirit, through His Word, through, through uh, the, the body of Christ to help me to finally come to the realization that my mind has actually changed. That I no longer make sense of everything from the old noia, but now through the metanoia. And everything is now completely different. As a matter of fact, I, I, I had an old report that, that I wrote in my old noia, which, which talked about what was the commonality of me and all my friends in our fraternity. And, and this is a little bit nasty, but I'm going to quote it to you. And, and in that report I wrote, we enter every social situation with the thought in the back of our mind, how can I get laid here? And I wrote that in a paper. And that was true. Whether we went to Burger King or to a club or to the library, we entered it thinking that. That's how depraved I was in my early 20s and beyond. And, and now, I think if I had to write that paper about, you know, you all that I hang out with, I think I would now write, we enter every social situation 
with the thought in the back of our mind, how can I connect people to Jesus here? How can, how can I hook up people with Jesus and the gospel and the, and the deliverance that, that, that is really ours? I can't tell you the joyous difference in my life, the shallowness of what this was versus the significance and deep encouragement at every turn of what this is. And this is what he's given us all. And by the way, it can happen, not because we're so persuasive, but because we know that the Holy Spirit is working through all of this. And he says, wait, wait until the city, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then once you got that, you go, boy. And it's going to be astounding what you can do across the nations. And likewise, as we head out with the commission of Jesus to go and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations, you do it not on your own steam. There's no self-reliance in that. We do it simply as instruments of God, the Holy Spirit. And what we do is just simply being used by God, the Holy Spirit, to be able to bring about the mind-blowing transformation of repentance to the people that God puts us in their path. Like, what, what a significance is now my life. What a commission we've all been given. You now know your reason for being. Raison d'etre. You know, that, that, that great French term of like, what, what's my purpose in life? Well, now you know it. You get to bring about the, this amazing repentance that unshackles people from their sin and changes the course of families for generations upon generations. When you can unshackle the parents from their sin and dysfunction, when you are able to... to the, what happens to the next generation and then beyond that? Oh my goodness. What we do is of utmost importance on this earth. More than anything else, as we go out and we get to now proclaim, courtesy of the Holy Spirit empowering us all and working through what we do, repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. You've received it. You've been set free. You know the joy of it. Reclaim it for yourselves. But as we finish off this Gospel of Luke, let us be amazed by Jesus. All that He's done for us. All that we've had captured in these Scriptures. That He has died and risen to be able to send His Holy Spirit. That we can be reborn and have the Holy Spirit flowing within us like streams of living water. Not for nothing, but so that we can go and share this power, this double cure. To be able to bring that with assurance to all people. And not only change the course of their lives, but the course of their lives and their, and their generations Forever beyond that. We have a great God. This has been an amazing gospel. It's ours to really now put into practice as we complete what, what Luke writes here. As we go out and reach the nations. Amen.